everyone, and welcome to 18th show of Smith and Hessen. Uh, as usual, our guest is uh, Emily Drum, uh, who has, uh, I guess, got some questions again to answer uh, regarding the performance of the White Ferns. We'll get on to that very shortly. Of course, on the other side of the world in Bangalore is uh, Mike Hessen, currently setting up uh, the Royal Challenges Bangalore for the IPL, starting uh, not too far away now, Mike. So, uh, first we'll go with you, Mike, and, and stay in India with the Test Series. This has just wrapped up, of course, and India winning convincingly, I think, predictably, too, uh, 3-1. Uh, I look at this test series and I say, was it dominated too much by the conditions below? Uh, I think maybe. I think uh, one test I can handle where a pitch is, is so dominant, one side can't play on it or, or is, looks incapable of playing on it. But I think when it dominates to the fact that only one spell of fast bowling I can think of in that whole test series was the James Anderson spell, that beautiful James Anderson spell. And I, I can't really think of too many others which were influential in the series. So... I guess what I'm getting at is, was it fair? Look, I, I think it was. Um, I, I think the the third test was probably a bit of an aberration. I think that, you know, the, the pitch exploded a bit, and then that, um, I don't think that was quite a, a fair contest. But outside of that, the third test, you know, Mohamed Siraj was impressive. Um, he obviously got the wickets of Root, Bearstow in that first innings with swing. And I think England had the best chance. They, had, they won three out of four tosses. Um, and to win in India... Um, Regard, probably more so than any part of the world, you have to win the toss and bat. And England won the toss and batted and got basically um, 205 on the first innings in best conditions, which is just not good enough. Um, and then obviously India posted 360 on the back of Rishabh Pant and uh, Washington Sunder. Yeah, other than potentially one test match where I thought it was, and maybe the second innings of the Chennai second test, um, you know, I think the cream rose to the top. And in the end, I think India were just too good. Emily, I look at it and I, I look at, OK, well, let's look at the batting side of it. The odd the odd uh, performance, I think, from Coley, fair to say, nothing at all from Pajara and Rahani. Shivman Gill really didn't uh, enhance himself. So you're talking about a side that here, a batting side that's won three out of four convincingly, but three or four of the major players have not really been a factor. So uh, I put a almost a weird sort of label around this series, to be fair. Yeah, it was a very difficult series to predict. And once you saw Finn taking over, it's almost like um, the English batsmen just could not come up with any answers. They were already almost lost before they started out in that first inning. And you're right, yes, when you said three tosses out of four, that should be setting them up to at least compete in the game. And, and you're right, that middle order for India just dominated this game. In that fourth test, you saw Pant dominate, uh, Washington Sunder missed out on 100. And really, there was nothing that came from the English middle order that gave them any chance or, or any tails wagging at all. And, yeah, a bit of a funny one, just, just to look at the stats and, and very skewed, I think. Um, but England didn't, didn't exactly put up a fight. So, uh, yeah, a fair result in the end, but, but disappointing as far as the scoring charts are concerned for both sides, actually. Emily, uh, I feel robbed. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I feel robbed. I look at a test cricket, classic test cricket, I look at all the factors coming into play. I didn't see, as I said, I didn't see a lot of fast bowling coming into play, swing bowling, etc. I didn't. I really didn't see that as being a huge factor. And I, I didn't really, as, as you pointed out, middle order batsmen seemed to prosper the most, apart from Joe Root earlier on this series. I, I didn't see too much class in terms of batting. Perhaps Rohit Sharma, the classiest batsman on show. Very fair point, and, and you're right. I feel like I've missed out on a whole test series to some degree, but 
The quality of the bowling from India was awesome. The spin bowling accounted for almost 60 wickets out of the possible 80. I mean, that's huge stats. But one of the things that I noticed over the recent series between Australia and India, plus this series, is the team that can play spin will score more runs. Sounds an obvious thing to say, but India did it so well in Australia. Used their feet, negated the swing, uh, the spin, and were able to get to the pitch of the ball and take the spinners and the catches out of play. And you just never saw anything different from England. That's probably my biggest takeaway is batsmen just repeatedly made the same errors, like pushing out in front of your pad. And, and technically, they just didn't change anything. So I think Joe Root probably went backwards towards, we talked about him being one of the, the star uh, of a group of four world-class batsmen. But, you know, his, his halo slipped a little bit and, and you just, just didn't see enough change from the batsmen to negate the dominance of spin. The emergence, Mike, of Axar Patel um, was one of the factors from India's point of view. I mean, he was their go-to guy. If he didn't open the bowling, he bowled a third or fourth over. Uh, so that was quite uh, incredible to see how he just dominated so much. Uh, Ashwin, of course, undoubted. Uh, wonderful uh, off-spin bowler, world-class, and has been for quite some time. We always knew who was going to be a factor. But I, I just um, I, I look at Axar Patel, and I look at the way he got people out. And more or not, was LBW or bold, which uh, then you start looking at English technique, surely. Yeah, you do. And I think it also goes back to your point that the new ball bowlers not playing a massive role because the Indian spinners were most effective with the new ball. Um, when the ball actually skidded on, uh, as you said, brought in the LBW and bold. And it was most challenging when the ball was hard. The ball would land on the belly of the ball and just kiss on. It might land on the, on the corner of the seam and then it would grip and turn. And when you're doing that at 94, 95 kilometres an hour, it's particularly challenging. And Axar Patel became less effective as the ball got older. Um, the, the amount of spin became a little bit more consistent in terms of how you and you could play off the back foot. When Indian, when English players tried to play on the front foot um, early on and the ball skidded on, as you said, that front foot came into play. Um, it was just the odd ball that turned and therefore they started to follow it uh, and it exposed both the inside and the outside edge. So... Look, it was incredibly challenging. Um, actually, you know, he couldn't have wished for better conditions to start his Test match career, um, and it's certainly a pretty good placement for Vijay Asia. I looked at Rishabh Pant's performance in the series. I thought he really struggled to keep. I don't think he was brilliant, uh, but he got better. He seemed to adjust well, and I suppose it's a case of when you're you're keeping on those services day after day, you can only get worse or better. He, he tended to get better for me, and, and then of course. Uh, the reason why they've really picked him is uh, for him to come in and, and play those innings that he does uh, against the run of play. And uh, that innings, of course, in the last Test match, which was the one that really put the nail in as far as uh, England were concerned. He just gave India too much dominance because of that innings. Uh, he has, uh, if you take the Australian series into account, Mike, he's probably been the most improved or uh, I would imagine the biggest comer on in terms of um, Indian cricket over the last four or five months we've watched here on Sky. Yeah, well, we talked about it, Smithy, didn't we, before um, the Australian series about whether Saha would play, punt would play, you know, where they rate the, the value of the wicket keeper bat. Um, you know, Saha had one average game with the uh, with the bat, didn't keep so well to commit to, to Rishabh Punt. And he's certainly, um, he's certainly shown that faith. He's grown in confidence the way he's played. He's certainly uh, looked to dominate, which has, been, uh, which has been great. And I think the way he took on... Um, James Anderson with the second new ball changed the whole course of the game. He's that type of player. He's that Adam Gilchrist type of player that comes in at six or seven um, and just can change the game in the space of an hour or two. 
So, Emily, if you're Ed Smith, who's the current boss of selectors in terms of English cricket, if you're Chris Silverwood, if you're Joe Root, who are going to sit down now and analyse what comes out of the series and how to plan, playing New Zealand, of course, in early June, what do you do with that test side? I mean, where have, where have they gone? I mean, they started with it looked like a relatively settled lineup, and now they've only got Stokes and they've only got Root, who you could say is cemented in the top seven or eight players. Uh, so I just wonder whether, do those guys put a line through this and say that was a one-off and conditions we'll never experience again, especially going forward, and we'll stick with those players, or do they shop around and they haven't got much time to do it? Well, it's certainly fallen from the giddy height of thrashing Sri Lanka and then starting this Indian Test Series so well. And you could see it was a very tired performance. So it's whether the faith of the selectors is going to hold firm of those players, the Crawleys, the Sibleys, um, who didn't really... They got, they got a 50, I think, each in, in um, the Test Series. But, I mean, that's not going to win your Test matches. But... They've obviously gotten in the side, but this rotation policy is probably going to dominate a lot of the discussions around how they formulate their teams because they've got seven tests at home this summer. So the two against the Kiwis, they're going to want to have, have their side pretty set because then there's a big gap until they play the five against India. So, yeah, they've got some big decisions. Ollie Pope didn't do himself any favours. Um, they've, they've got to work out whether is this just a one-off or... Is this a, a continuing pattern that's going to keep reoccurring for them? So I guess they've got to get into their county championships and those who want to get, make that side have to score runs and big runs and dominate that field and, and I guess put themselves up and like for the selectors to say actually they did learn from um, the Indian tour to uh, give themselves another chance for the first two tests against the Kiwis. It's been announced this morning. I don't know why it's taken so long to come out publicly. I knew two weeks ago that this uh, World Championship Test match was going to be played in Southampton. Um, Mike, um, they make any difference, Southampton or Lords, from your point of view playing India? Yeah, I think so. I think at Lords, the ball definitely swings more. Um, and it, especially when they put the lights on, the ball can swing around corners. So I think um, Lords yeah, definitely would, would have suited our swing bowlers potentially more. I think Southampton's um, a bigger ground. Um, it brings the spinners in a bit more. The ball does swing, but not as much as it does at Lords, whether that's because it's a little bit more of an open ground as opposed to Lords is obviously a bit more enclosed. So it'll be different. Um, you understand the reasons why they've done it, obviously with the hotel on the ground. Um, so obviously from a quarantine perspective, it's much easier um, to just obviously fall out of bed and roll over to the ground and, and keep that contained. I think we're in for a cracking test match. I think there's no doubt that these are the two best teams in the world at the moment. Uh, the T20s, of course, start on Saturday morning here live on Sky. There's five of them. They're all being played at uh, the same venue we saw for the last two test matches. So we'll just see if uh, the groundsman is capable of, of coming up with a pitch suitable for T20 cricket. I'm sure he will be able to do that. Enough about India and enough about England as well. We need to get on to the White Ferns, Emily. Are you still there or have you run? No, I'm still here. I'm still crunching up. I'm still willing to talk about it. Um, all's not lost, but it, it's it's a tough conversation. I have to confess that it, it, it's it's definitely hurting. Okay, right. For me, I've been thinking about this, and I ask you that you've got to ask yourself within the group two questions: Have I got the right players? 
i.e. are they the best options uh, at the right time to play against any given opportunity? Have I got the right players in the squad at the moment for the White Ferns? Or are there any other uh, around? Are they getting the best help and guidance that they can get at this time? The other two questions. Now, if the answer to that is yes, I think you've got huge problems, Emily. Yeah, they're difficult questions to answer to give people satisfaction or satisfactory uh, solutions. But for me, the probably the biggest challenge we've got, and I'll tackle that second question, was around player pool and have we got the right players? We probably have got the majority of the right players. I'm sure there'll be changes for the next series against Australia. There were some real issues for some of the dismissals, some of the cricket that was played for me, and, and I didn't enjoy seeing some of the mistakes that were made. And, and I can only think of that as being a bit of lack of confidence and just not really knowing fully what to do when you're out in the middle. And, and why that is, I'm not sure, not close enough. And I then asked myself the question on leading into that first question you posed, is the group getting the right support? And I believe they are getting a pretty good level of support, whether it's the right support. Again, I don't know the answer to that, but there's certainly something missing. Now, I'm not a magician, I don't have all the answers, but what I would love to understand is, is what are the debriefs going on? What, what's happening around the group or behind the scenes to try and uncover where the frailties are and what the obvious issues are? Because right now there's not a lot of answers that I can see glaringly obvious. We can mix and match certain players, but you're really only looking from, the, from a squad of 13, only a pool of 16, 17 players that are of an international standard. And unfortunately, we're missing two good players in Susie Bates and Leah Tuhuhu, which they're pretty big shoes to fill. So, yeah, it's slim pickings and it's difficult times with White Ferns, but got to keep going. OK, let's look at uh, just going depth a wee bit more. Sophie Devine, should she be captain? Look, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and, and from what I, what I understand, the playing group are very happy with her as captain. She wants to do it, um, and that's that's the long-term view of New Zealand cricket as well, and, and I believe she will be leading us through to the World Cup. So as tough as this little series has been, I think uh, she's just got to be given the, the full backing of the squad and, and carry on unless there's, there's something else that, that I don't know about or, or happens um, over the next uh, series against Australia. I think the, the captaincy, I don't think there's an issue with, with the way she captains. It's just are we getting enough out of her from her individual performance point of view? Is it affecting um, Sophie Devine's performance as a you know as a batter? And I guess that's, the, that's a, a really important decision to make. She's a great leader and, um, you know, the, the players love and, and enjoy playing with her, which is great. Um, but I guess if we're interested in the sum of the parts, you're looking at things like that. You know, she's still able to go out and play with that freedom with the bat. And that, I don't know the answer to that. And I think it's fair that we, we do take a really close look at this situation because uh, these girls are playing on television. Um, you know, there's a lot of... I want, a lot more parity, they want to be a, a lot more respected, they want people to watch, they want people to come, um, and they want support and they want it to make it a, a life, a lifestyle change or, or a career path. And I, and I agree with all those philosophies and I think it's a wonderful thing, but with that comes closer analysis uh, of, of performance and I, I think we're fair to, to be looking at it. And my overall uh, point about this is the win-loss record at the moment is not acceptable. And I, I think that's why we're within our rights to look at it. They're just simply not winning enough. And the next opposition, of course, is Australia. And, you know, they really need, if they can turn it around against Australia, it'll do so much for 
the image of the White Ferns and, and the game itself. So I, I wish them all the best in their preparation for that. Anyway, moving on to um, analysis of uh, the Black Caps, and they were in danger too of, of uh, throwing away an advantage in a series. But they uh, forgot about the fact, my guess, and that Martin Guptill has a special relationship with that cricket down in Wellington that Sky Television now owns and puts its name to. Yeah, look, I was fortunate enough to obviously be coaching during the World Cup in 2015 when Martin played one of the innings that I'll never forget. Um, you know, quarter-final, packed house uh, at Sky Stadium, as it is now. Um, and he hit one, obviously, onto the roof um, of the stadium, and he did the same again a couple of days ago. And, and that is... It's hard to explain how big a hit that is. That is a that is a huge hit. And he's now done it three times. He's played some phenomenal innings there. And he played it in a in a series-defining um, match, which is just fantastic. Uh, Emily, Sody and Santner, of course, on that pitch, uh, the tends to suit them uh, a wee bit down there in Wellington, came to the fore as well. So, obviously, they're going to be uh, going to be givens in terms of the World Cup coming up. Their, their experience levels and their white ball bowling is quite exceptional. Uh, what would you do with your squad, Emily, if you were selecting uh, the Black Caps with the series coming up uh, against Bangladesh? Would you tinker or would you just to try and build wins and build confidence? I'd like to sort of marry a little bit of the two. We know that Williamson is out, so there's going to be a new skipper. Um, I think it's a time to probably freshen up the side. I know that um, the temptation is to keep it the same, but it's important that all of those fringe players do get a go. Um, they've still got to work out what to do with Jamison, whether to get him back on the hawk or just give him a little bit more of a break. Uh, the likes of Jacob Duffy didn't really get a go. Finn Allen's been in and around the um, the side. So there's opportunities, but it's a very hard side to get into. They're playing such good cricket. And Conway is just looks like he's been an international cricketer for years and just really enjoyed watching them develop and, and Glenn Phillips will be looking to, to dominate as well. There is the opportunity just to make sure that, that they do keep the players fresh and keep them on their toes and, and give, I guess, us a, the, the, the Black Caps a bigger base and pull to choose from because there's always that World Cup that's simmering away in the background that, that I'd like the Black Caps to be so ready for and have the best pool of players available. Yeah, well, I look at that too, Mike, and I don't think there are many places available within that World Cup squad, even if I look at it from this point outwards. I know Kane Williamson will go back into the squad undoubtedly about that, so they can tinker around a little bit with that, that number three spot if they want to. But um, there's, there's an interesting thing. I, I think there's room to do both. I think there's room to, to, to play the tried and true, but I, I, they do have to get Kyle Jamison back with confidence and, and learning how to bowl an international level with the white ball uh, in this form of the game. That, that's a must. So he has to play. Any other things uh, would come into play for you? Yeah, I think the other thing is the size of the squad. Like, it, I think this year will be a little bit different. So, um, obviously, with, with the COVID situation and quarantining, uh, normally a squad of the World Cup's 15. I think it'll be closer to 18 or 20. Um, so, just because of the, the risk of, of the tournament. Um, so, therefore, that will provide some further opportunities for an extended group. Um, I think the the T20 that the lineup with Gupta and Conway I think is is critical um, because otherwise if if we go with two right-handers I think they'll just do what they did in the fourth game and roll out arm spinner and make it really challenging for the right-handers. So I think New Zealand will want to look at that combination more um, during the series against Bangladesh and potentially have it um, in some situations where the ball does turn. 
Mike, uh, on the IPL subject, uh, the venues have been announced, the Medabad, Bengaluru, Chennai, Mumbai, Kolkata. Uh, the draw is out. Um, how does it look from your point of view? I mean, you're, you're still basically at neutral venues, aren't you? Last time it was in Abu Dhabi and, and um, Sharjah and all those various places, uh, which were all obviously neutral venues. And neutral venues again this year, I understand. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, initially it was going to be all in Mumbai and, and obviously the number of, um, you know, cases have gone up dramatically during the latest period of time. So I guess the, they've hedged their bets in terms of five or six venues. Um, you know, if there's an issue in a particular area, then they're able to move games to, to one of the other venues. I guess that's one of the goodies. Um, we only travel three times um, and there'll be, there'll be private charters and things like that to obviously limit the risk. Um, you know, in India, um, they kind of, you know, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes in terms of making sure those these bio bubbles over here will be secure. Uh, we're certainly going to miss not playing in uh, Bangalore and uh, Bengaluru, and uh, and our supporters are pretty disappointed about that. Um, but I don't think there'll be crowds anyway. Certainly not for the first half. Um, so it does take away the you know the home advantage. Uh, we start with three games in Chennai, which is going to be steamy. Um, and, and obviously, you know, guys coming from all parts of the world heading straight to Chennai. And we've got a, a day game pretty early on as with 3.30 uh, p.m. at Chennai is going to be, um, yeah, she's going to be all hands on deck from a, an ice, an ice uh, uh, vest perspective, that's for sure. Mike, the penthouse outhouse story of the week must go to Akila Dananjaya, of course, uh, the Sri Lankan, who uh, and won over... Got a hat trick in international cricket, and then in the next over, Kyron Pollard dealt to him with six sixes. So, both are rarities in the international in any form of the game, of course. But man, uh, how the mighty can fall very, very quickly, and just shows the devastation actually that the West Indies can still cause at that level. Well, it wasn't a bad hat trick either. It obviously included Chris Gale and Nicholas Poran. Yeah, Kyron Pollard's just gone. Thanks very much. I'd like a piece of you. Um, and some of those sixes were huge. Like they, they were massive. And, and you'd see by the look in his eyes, he was a bit miffed in, in terms of how he was going to operate. Um, but yeah, Dan Jarrett, a bit of a tough run. He obviously got pulled for an illegal action a wee while ago. Um, looks like he doesn't quite have the one that goes the other way now. So doesn't have the tricks that potentially he used to have. The the IPL, what, what stage are you at now? I, I notice you've, uh, from the wallpaper in the background, you've changed hotels. Yeah, we had a mini camp here, um, sort of four or five days for the players that, that hadn't made the, the quarterfinals of the local uh, one-day competition. So we had those players in, uh, obviously brought in some net bowlers and, and had three, four, three days of sort of match scenarios um, you know, at uh, Chinnaswamy Stadium here. So that was fantastic. Uh, we brought all the guys into this. Uh, hotel here, which is where the team normally stays, um, which is a, a lot of a lot of bush around in the middle of all, which is lovely. Um, and now we, we've sent them back home and, and our camp uh, on the 22nd of this month. Uh, guys will come in for their quarantine period and then uh, then we'll start our training after that. Okay, well, stay safe over there, Mike. Uh, stay um, stay well and uh, and healthy. And uh, Emily, of course, um, we want an update uh, in our next show about how we're going to go against the streeted Australian side because um, we need to improve that win-loss record. So of the three of us, I think you've probably got the most difficult times coming up. But I wish you all the best for those. And for those people who have been watching here on uh, Smith and Hesson episode 18, stay safe and well, and uh, we'll bring you some more cricket information in about a week's time.
Bye-bye for now.